HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, very, very happy to have these cats in here. Uh, actually, Alan Katz <laughs> yeah. and uh, Nate nice Dumont. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Uh, so we have uh, Alan Katz and Nate Dumont in the studio today. We're going to be talking about the uh, the new venture, the New York Distilling Company. That is right. And also, uh, in tandem with that, the, uh, the Shanty, a new yep. bar as well. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today, guys. I mean, I was just making my notes earlier, and I realized that uh, you know, I, shortly after my pen ran out of ink, that uh, this is going to be a really awesome show. So, both of you guys are—you only realized that this morning that this was going to be an awesome show. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you know, I, I knew it. I knew it. I, and I'm, I'm very happy to have you guys on after much anticipation. Um, both of you guys have been in this industry for quite some time, and everyone knows who you are. At least most people know who you are. Uh, by most people, I guess I'm just making a general like comment here. But uh, I, you know, uh, Alan Katz, first of all, Southern Wine and Spirits. You're the uh, director of Mixology and Beverage Education. That's correct. Uh, yes, Spirits Education. Um, also. You were a chairman of uh, uh, Slow Food for a while, and uh, man, you've done so many. I've been to a lot of your seminars. Life is short. Yeah, dude, you got to pack it in, right? You know, uh, doing doing everything that you can do, everything you want to do, man. You do everything you want to do. <laughs> and hey, Dumas, so much uh, thin Lizzy today. Yeah, so much thin Lizzy. It's gonna happen. Um, <laughs> so, and Nate also like rad bartender. Um, I had the pleasure of having you on with me on my staff and yeah. bartending with you for a long time. Pleasure was mine. Uh, mine only, man. And, you know, you've been, dude, you've been all over the New York bartending scene. And you you took off for a year, about a year ago. You yep. went to Edinburgh to uh, the 
Harriet Watt School for uh, uh, you got a degree in uh, brewing and distilling. Yep, Harriet Watt University. Yeah, and now you're back in New York. You've been here for about a year. You guys met back up, and you guys are working together on an awesome distillery and an awesome bar. Um, let's just jump into, I think, uh, for this first segment, let's talk about the uh, the distillery. Sure. And then we'll jump into the bar in the second half. Um, so it's every bartender's dream, <laughs> first of all, to like to own their own bar. But the really big dream is to own your own distillery. And... There are a lot of uh, jealous, jealous dudes well, and ladies bad. out there. <laughs> I shouldn't be jealous. Uh, it's been a long process. To be honest, the fantasy for me is uh, five or six years old. Mm-hmm. And in earnest, I've uh, been working on this for close to three years with uh, more than a few moments of uh, cliffhanger, should I jump? Will this ever come to a conclusion, meaning come to the starting line of being able to open something to the public. I'm ecstatic uh, that we're finally open. But it's, it's taken it's taken a lot of time and energy and certainly a few dollars, uh, other people's dollars, thank goodness. But it, it's, it's um, you know, I hope people aren't jealous. I hope we can share it with people. And coming from an industry background, that's uh, really the idea of it. We have some business agenda. We want to make things that we're excited about and we'll see what the response is. Uh, we want to have a great bar as well, but it's also as we evolve a distillery, not only because of its location in New York City, but its location in the country or, or even humbly in the world that people that come through New York uh, can experience. And, and certainly from a professional standpoint, that we'll have bartenders, beverage directors in to, to do hands-on distilling where, at least from my imagination, most have not had that experience before. Absolutely. You know, one of the coolest things is, for, for me, being a bartender in this this era, you know, first of all, we have so many great restaurants and so many great bars and so many great outlets just for the education of what we're doing. And it's become a, an, an occupation that is extremely fulfilling, but also, like, I, I just, like, it's, it's never-ending. It's well, never-ending. People, and, you people know, now... Are respecting that bartenders take their work seriously. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what's really cool is that you know, like you were just saying, you know, you've got this awesome, awesome platform to bring in all that education and having it right in the middle, you know, like in Williamsburg and having it in New York City, especially since you guys from here or not from here, but you guys are stationed here and you're out in the scene, which is another cool thing that I think like a lot of distillers don't do; they don't sure, get out there sure. enough. Um, it's just an exciting time, you know, and going back to the whole do anything you want to do <laughs> thing. Um, right now you guys are, you're, you're just starting up. You've got two different gens that are on the market and one of them, uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the Perry's tot for a second. It's a, the first Navy strength gen that's been in this market and what, like a century? Probably so. It's it's certainly been a long time. You know, the, as it's always stated, I'm sure when you talk to other people in the beverage alcohol business, the fun thing is that these stories, whether it's cocktail names or the derivation of different products, they get a little muddied with a drink or two on yeah. both sides of the bar. It's been a long time since there was a Navy Strength Gin legally available in the United States. Uh, and our humble motto, I hope it comes off this way, is... 
to a degree to be purposefully different. Um, we wanted to make gin. I love gin. Uh, it's a fantastic spirit. It's had its own little mini renaissance the last you know five, six years. But uh, there's a lot of great gin that's out there already. So sure. how could we introduce something that was, as I said, purposefully different that adds to the conversation of what's available, how gin is being used? Uh, maybe it's a little retro, but hopefully a little forward thinking as well. Totally. You know, uh, just for our listeners, those who don't know, um, can you explain to us what Navy strength means? Sure. Navy strength was a term coined uh, by the British Navy and uh, British distilling culture uh, back uh, in the 18th century when uh, seafaring was not as uh, safe or consistent as it is today, that uh, naval work, naval warfare was instrumental in the defense of uh, Western nations, certainly. And the British Navy discovered, uh, in conjunction with distillers, that at uh, American proof, 114 or 57% alcohol, should by accident a barrel or barrels of uh, alcohol be spilled on board and by accident compromise munitions, well, you can still fire off your gunpowder. Sure. Very useful if you're going to battle. Uh, and But it was also part of the social culture. So, you know, at the time, the military was very much looked up to. And, uh, you know, there's evidence of recipes and even punches with Navy Strength Gin because that's what was available. It was a, a popular proof of the day. And also, I mean, when you hear Navy Strength, you, you think about two spirits in particular. You think about gin and rum. Sure. Which are extremely, like, old school British Royal Navy days, you know, standards for punches and whatnot. And I know uh, there's only the, – the only one I can think of that's, uh, like, a Navy Strength – Whiskey is the, uh, I mean, it straight at 114 is the uh, the old granddad, right. 114, which yeah, I know yeah. Nate's a big fan yeah. of. Yep. <laughs> um, so the inspiration for that was to bring something to the market that was pur- purposefully different. Yes. And, you know, especially with the cocktail seeing the way it is nowadays, we, we want those things. Sure. And it's a competitive market in a, a wonderful way where just a few years ago there were maybe a couple of dozen of boutique distilleries in the country. There are well over 300 now. There are many others that are coming online in the next couple of years. And so, you know, to be honest, it was a way we hope to say, this is something that's different. Uh, this is worth trying because there's nothing else like it on the market. Totally. And the other gin that you have right now is the Dorothy Parker gin, which is... At uh, 88 proof, 88 44% proof. alcohol. Yeah. Well, if you're nutty enough to launch two gins at the same time, uh, they have to be drastically different. You've got to explain the point of difference, uh, not only by the color of the label, but by the style. And so it's not that, that 88 proof, it's light. Are they light. the same like mash bill? They're or? totally different recipes. The botanical recipes are different. They share some... Uh, from the classic sense, certainly juniper, a uh, certain amount of citrus, although the citrus builds are different. Uh, the, the little wrinkle on the Perry's Todd is that it's primarily classic botanicals, with one local uh, botanical being a wildflower honey from upstate New York. Oh, cool. And on the Dorothy Parker, aside from classic botanicals, there are two that are rather modern or contemporary. One is elderberry, and the other is dried hibiscus petals. Cool. So... With these two gins already out on the market, they're already being distributed uh, in New York. Uh, two weeks old. Yeah, two weeks <laughs> old, which is totally awesome. 
uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, what has the response been so far? Uh, the response has been great. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, you very, very politely say everybody knows who, who we are. You know, Nate as well as myself, to a degree, uh, and with we, and we've also been waiting for this for a while. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. With, with I hope great humility and gratification. I'm, I'm fairly confident that the people that I know in the industry are going to try the gins. Uh, and they're going to be generous enough to buy it for the first time. Uh, the, you know, if they don't like it, they're not going to reorder it. So to this point, the response has been uh, tremendous. In about two weeks, we've sold nearly 100 cases of gin. Cool. Uh, and so for us, doing everything by hand, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you have a, a beautiful Christian Carl still. Yeah, very excited about that. I, I just... Like I've always said that I, I just want one. I just want one in my house. I don't, I don't even want to fire it up. I mean, I do want to fire it up, but I just want one because they're they're works of art. We can man. give you a photograph to put in your house. I already have photographs of okay. your still. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> um, no, I took photographs of the uh, the still the uh, the other night when I came to visit when you uh, so graciously uh, offered my band brothers to That's be the right. house band. House band. New York Company. <laughs> um, so. When you started talking about doing this distillery quite a quite a while back, there were some certain issues. I mean, like as there are with any distillery opening. Obviously, like there were uh, up until like just a few years back, the the taxes on opening a distillery or just running a distillery they were like around fifty thousand a year, and now it's they're true. The laws changed now they're down around like sixty five hundred a well, year. They're now designations, and as as we were talking about off air, I wish I could remember. The ceilings, but up until a, a certain quantity or volume of production, you're in a boutique distillery range. And the taxes reflect that because otherwise none of these small businesses would, would be able to get off the ground. Uh, and so we fall into that range. Uh, we purchased a still that was uh, as large as our finances could bear. It's a thousand liter still, which is probably larger than most uh, craft distillers, boutique distillers in the country at the moment, uh, with the hope that we'll grow into it. Yeah. Uh, that our production will increase, our, our versatility of product will increase. But yes, the laws have changed so that it's a little bit more tenable for someone to come in. And yeah, you got to raise a boatload of money, uh, to be honest. Oh, but, yeah. but it's doable. People are excited about alcohol, and and it's doable uh, to put something like this together. Totally. I mean, and, and what's so cool about it is like we're we're seeing so many, uh, not so many, but we're seeing. A growing number of uh, craft distilleries popping up, and it's like I said again, you know, this time, it, like this era of bartending and like being in the spirits world at at all is like it's extremely exciting. So, one of the things that I remember you tell me about, I hope I'm not like bringing up something, uh, throwing a curveball at you, but uh, there was one thing, it's the gotcha like, moment. This right. is not the gotcha moment, Nate. <laughs> uh, but there was something that was interesting. You were telling me actually, we were here when we were talking about it. We were here at Roberta's. But this was like, like a year ago, probably. Uh, you were telling me about something to do with the concrete. It was like, <laughs> well, as I said, you know, it's interesting. One, you can, in a general way, say a lot of boutique distilleries are popping up nationally. The thing that's interesting and that prevented, uh, prevented, provided some additional hurdles was doing it in the city, and specifically in New York City. You know, once upon a time, where we are now, which still has. A pretty industrial feel, you know, down the street there's a cement factory and there's contract work going on around us. Where we are in Williamsburg uh, is 
unbelievably surrounded by new condos now, uh, almost at every turn. And so there is some manufacturing space, but you've got to be in the right zoning. And you've got to have uh, tests done on everything from groundwater to cement that you put down. I'll be on part of it's simply my inexperience in building. I've never built anything before. But as you're doing something that's new to scale from a city standpoint or a state standpoint, you've got to be, I guess, extra cautious that agencies know exactly what you're doing so that they approve what you ultimately want to do. And that, like that's is that the DOH or the DOB or the SLA or all of the above? Well, on on building things, everything goes to the buildings department. Yeah. They have other agencies. There's also, and it's worthwhile, you know, New York City's Department of Environmental Protection is most curious about uh, the quality of water. Uh, that we put back into the system once we've distilled what happens that's, to it what's the temperature what's the ph yeah, that's a good point uh to bring up because i know that a lot of distilleries like when they they use our their used water they usually have to go through some sort of filtering process before they put it back into the system what are you guys doing uh well at the as you said at the moment we're distilling gin uh, a couple of things were still evolving, but in a fun way, we are collecting uh, some spent botanicals and sending them over to Stinky Cheese in Brooklyn and letting them wash cheese with oh, it. Oh, cool. Uh, Very cool. And otherwise, there's not a lot of matter that has a tremendous amount to break down technically in the city sewer system. Next month, when we start distilling rye whiskey on site, uh, we will take more careful approach to the pH of the finished spent water, uh, and we'll come up with some way to uh, essentially strain or drain water from spent mash. Cool. I feel like I'm just asking completely dorky questions right now, so stop me if I am, because uh, I, I'm just totally into this, man. <laughs> and I hope our listeners are too. <laughs> um, uh, one other thing. Okay. I wanted to uh, get this uh, in there, because I think it's really interesting. Um you guys are you have the bar that's running tandem with the distillery and up until recently that was that like legal or i mean like well up until recently there weren't distilleries to consider this right dual you know but it's concept the same, but apparently like you were telling me before it's the same license well for us uh, and this is a relatively new meaning just a few years old uh, uh, re- revision of a New York state law uh, by having what's called a Class D farmers distillers license, and we have been approved for that. Not because we're farmers, we're not farming, we're not growing things, but in particular for you're, our you're growing a pretty good beard. Though, that's right? true. <laughs> my, my cavalry look uh, for our rye whiskey. A hundred percent of our grains are derived from New York State agriculture. We now going on two years have contracted with. Uh, farmers up near Seneca Lake in the Finger Lake region to grow all of our grains for what will ultimately be our uh, rocket rye and then straight rye whiskey. Uh, and and that's where the revision started coming in to, uh, from a state standpoint, allow a boutique distiller to also have not just a tasting room, but a bar, should they so choose. Killer. And I love the bar. And right when we get back from this uh, this break that we're going to take, we're going to talk a lot about the Shanty, cool. which is the bar that's connected to the NYDC. That's right. Cool. When we get back, we'll be talking with Nate DeMoss and Alan Katz. Mm-hmm. 
New York Distilling Company and the Shanty. Back in a few. You can have a distillery with a bar inside of it. <laughs> Hell yeah, That's you, what you can. Want. Says who? And you can uh, you can totally harvest heirloom varietals of rye. Done. Might as well. During the break, we were talking about the uh, the heirloom varietals that you were working with, uh, Alan Katz. Well, we you know again in the idea of what can we do to add to the conversation uh, from putting these products out into the market uh, with the two gins. Again, both are they're different than anything else you'd find there. Uh, that's that's currently or widely available. When it came to the rye whiskeys, I was always interested in rye. I'm uh, from Maryland originally, grew up with a wonderful heritage of rye whiskey, and um, I always knew that would be part of the picture of the New York Distilling Company. Uh, and as much as I love bourbon, we're with intention not distilling bourbon or producing bourbon from any of our mash bills. Uh, but we wanted to look at what kind of grains, again, were inherent or historic uh, with some further purpose or evaluation. And so we did, uh, through the farmers that we work with, uh, Rick Peterson in particular, Peterson Farms up near Seneca Lake, oh, yeah. uh, did some research uh, to discover particular heirloom varieties of rye that he could then experiment with from a growing standpoint, a seasonality standpoint. You know, rye is one of those interesting grains that you can get you know, more than one harvest a year from. Uh, and... That will be part of the interest of the experiment of once we start distilling these grains uh, to see how that you know adds to the conversation, adds to the flavor. Whiskey is you know a, an entertaining, uh, an interesting thing because it's not like the gin where we can make and bottle this literally in a week's time. The whiskey, which we will taste in an ongoing fashion, we know will not be at its reasonable maturity for more in at least a few years. Right and. Are you guys going to do, are you planning on doing like a straight whiskey? Meaning, you know, like obviously it's going to be at least two years old. We or? absolutely will. Our, our goal, our intention is that for straight rye, it'll have a minimum of three years actually. Oh, cool. In the barrel. And we'll try and be patient and uh, 
as I've come to say, um, it will be three years unless our lives depend on it. <laughs> well, that's the thing about whiskey, you know, like the the cost comes from the time, you know, yep. time is money with yep. that. Um, so during the break, we were also talking about, uh, well, during the break, Nate was so kind to uh, pour some of the uh, the gin out for us. So uh, I, I think it's a good enough time to uh, try some. Might as well. Is this the uh, the Dorothy Parker? This is the Dorothy Parker. Cool. Um, so let's talk about the uh, nice. Let's talk about the uh, the mix of botanicals real quick. This has got eight botanicals uh, that uh, hopefully are of interest. Juniper is uh, prominent and and the most significant. And we wanted to do gins. Uh, that had a strong juniper base but weren't just locked into that. So, for example, just juniper and citrus or juniper and coriander spice, for example. So the Dorothy Parker, again, eight botanicals. Again, most are classic. Juniper, uh, orange, and lemon peel, coriander. The smallest amounts of a sweeter to normal, at least to my palate, cinnamon, uh, whole green cardamom pods, whole star anise, a handful uh, they are literally measured out by weight, but it, it looks like a handful. <laughs> and then the two that are contemporary, as we said at the top, are elderberry and hibiscus. And just to give you some sense of the, the mathematics, uh, the ratio for elderberry uh, and juniper, it's 12 parts juniper to one part elderberry and 26 parts juniper to one part uh, dried hibiscus petals so oh. they're there they're very fragrant the intention uh, and Nate's done some masterful stuff with these gins already is that again from a sipping standpoint hopefully you notice most of these botanicals it's when you get down to mixing it that some are suppressed some come out in different ways depending on if it's a stirred drink a shaken sour uh, a martini for example uh, and that is an interesting reflection on how the botanicals act in a mixed drink yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's when you were just talking about mathematics, um, you were telling me a story before the show uh, about uh, a gentleman from the uh, the Dorothy Parker Society. Yes. And he was kind of freaking out about the proof, which is 88, so it's 44% alcohol. That is true. So, the, And the Dorothy Parker gin, named for one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite writers, uh, actually. And it was a great, great gin drinker uh, and uh, had... Uh, more than several occasions to tie one on at the Algonquin Hotel was yep. probably most noted for being part of the Algonquin Roundtable, and I-, I swear to you, I've been there many times, but I never put one and one together that the Algonquin is located on Forty Fourth Street in Manhattan. And the guy was freaking out because he was. He was like, "Oh, oh, why did you make it Forty Four? Well, pounds? I know because it was on Forty Fourth Street, uh, of course. But then also Forty Four. You got four and four, eight botanicals." Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Gotcha moment. Damon Bolton, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a great gin. I like to say there's 88 keys on a piano. Oh, snap. Um, All sorts of numerology <laughs> happening. Today. I like this. This show is taking, in, <laughs> taking off into a weird direction. <laughs> so, this one's awesome. I mean, like, so, it, to me, it's, it's great because, like, it's definitely... It feels like a like a new American style gin, but it has that like London Dry quality to it to a certain extent. Yeah, well, that's great. So I mean, it kind of makes again. What's most important to us is that it's it's mixable, um, and that the juniper's there. It's got a little bit of sweetness on the nose, and that's the elderberry and hibiscus. Um, but you know, it, again, when you mix with that, it it stands to appropriately suppress just a little bit of that sweetness. Yeah, 
You know, um, I was wondering, are, are you doing... So you say you're doing different botanical uh, mixes for this, and then the other one, the the Perry's Tot, which is the the Navy Strength one. Um, so what what's the uh, botanical lineup kind of? How how is it different from the? Well, uh, I, and I will say, in terms of their development, and these are a year and a half's worth of distilling in the making uh, uh, that a friend's distillery up in Warwick, New York, uh, that uh, we started with the Navy Strength Gin because I always knew that that we wanted to do that. And I should say, I mean, the reason you don't see a lot of Navy Strength Gin or Navy Strength Rums is they're not as profitable. (laughs) You're you're not adding as much water to bring things to to bottling proof. Uh, And so from a, a big company standpoint, there's less interest in doing that, save from the, you know, the cultural... Yeah. addition to, of something like this kind of product. The botanicals uh, uh, in the Navy Strength, uh, they're 10. Uh, we start again with juniper. There's three types of citrus. Uh, in descending order, uh, orange, lemon, and grapefruit peel, all dried. Coriander. Uh, angelica root, which most people haven't seen unless you're in a botanical shop. Right. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't add a ton of flavor, maybe just a little bit of earthiness. Um, but it's a real cohesive botanical. It, it helps a lot of flavors adhere to each other. Uh, and uh, and then uh, we round out with some of those spices again. Uh, again, the sweet cinnamon, Carmel. whole green cardamom pod, star anise. And then our, our fun little wrinkle, this uh, wildflower honey from uh, upstate New York. It's very, very good. I Thank mean, like, you. It, it's one of those gents, like, even though it's overproofed yeah. by far. You're you still know, sitting here. Still sitting here. <laughs> still, we're still talking about it. Yeah. For the time being. Um, and it's it's such a cool addition for the uh, you know the cocktail world you know especially for people, thing. like purists like yeah. historians most know, like, people haven't worked with it so you know we're we're patient and friendly to say let's try it let's try it together yeah and and see what we can come up with you know, awesome. our, as simple as a tot and tonic a gin and tonic I use a little bit less uh, gin in that fashion in the gin and tonic with Perry's tot but you eminently taste the gin yeah because it's overproof it's very cool and these are both prominently featured at the bar that's connected to uh, uh, the distilling, the New York Distilling Company, uh, the Shanty, which um, I've had the pleasure of going by uh, and uh, maybe had a little too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> or not enough. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, so, uh, yeah, let's talk about the bar for a little bit. So, Nate DeMoss, you, yeah. you're one of my uh, veteran bartenders and you've been seriously... Everywhere in this amazing city, you've been you you were at Pegu Club, PDT, Mary Queen of Scotch. You've been at all the Julie Reiner places, Flatiron Clover Club, uh, and uh, Lonnie Kai. You've been in Prime Meats. I've gone around <laughs> in Prime Meats. You've been around, man. You've been around. Yeah. So let's talk. I mean, obviously, you've got these awesome gins that are being produced, literally like on premise or right next door. Eventually, these whiskeys and. What are some of the ways that you've featured the gin at the bar? I know, obviously, uh, there was a, there's Ping Gin. You're doing Ping yep. Gins. Yep. Uh, and uh, that was one of Katie Stipe's ideas. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have an all, a pretty all-star bartending crew. Um, Katie had the idea that we should serve Pink Gin out of the small still that's located on the back of the bar. And uh, kind of taking that idea and running with it, um, it seemed to make sense to use the Dorothy Parker, um, 
which is you know 44% alcohol. Um, and then in the interest of doing a house pink gin uh, that wasn't straight gin and Angostura bitters, uh, decided to add a little Campari to it. And I think it softens it up, makes it really pretty. Sounds like something you and Katie would do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great uh, you know, to serve up just as a simple beer and shot, a nice, easy thing on the menu, quick and easy for our bartenders to churn out, um, but incredibly tasty. Cool. What are some of the uh, – I mean uh, – you. You're, you've been one of my favorite people to work with. Just uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that, um, especially with uh, one of your one of my favorite drinks, um, which is kind of in a weird way a riff on a B. It's like a B and B meets uh, Toronto B and B and F. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's called the Montgomery Smith, which was uh, featured in the uh, PDT cocktail book that just came out. Jimmy yeah. Hen was on about a month ago to promote the book. Yeah, and. Uh, it's one of my favorite cocktails. I mean, like, you have a way with making very, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but very, like, very delicious drinks, but keeping them very simplified. Of course, there was the Cocksucker Blues. You remember that one? <laughs> oh, that was a messy night. <laughs> that was a messy night. <laughs> but I had but, forgotten about that. But gotcha you, moment. Yeah, gotcha <laughs> moment. Gotcha. <laughs> Hey Jack, we're going to have to get a, like, a gotcha button on the, uh, like, the MIDI uh. thing. <laughs> Do you have one? that's the best i got that was amazing um oh my god i didn't know we had that that's amazing um but but you have a really great way of uh putting out very classically minded cocktails like what i've noticed from from your works is that you do you do a lot of cocktails with stuff that would have existed back in those days yeah back in the day you know um very boozy, but very delicious and very balanced cocktails. What are and I want you to talk a little bit about this. I mean, like I know that you are one of the dudes that owns like the most volumes of uh, of original like classic <laughs> cocktail books. I'm a huge I mean, like, nerd. You were telling me that you have like seven copies of like the uh, Charles H. Baker's Gentleman's, Gentleman's Companion. Companion. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Seven, like, like a, a lot, <laughs> at least seven. It's wow. ridiculous. Like, how did you get into this? I mean, uh, the collecting thing, or um, just like the, like the classic bartending thing in general. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like going way back, I was working in Seattle at a pretty divey bar, and uh, I was a server and a host and a bar back, and um, you know, naturally wanted to get into tending bar, and um, sort of asked people, you know, how do I do this? And uh, one of the managers was just like, ah, just buy some books, you learn some recipes, you know, thinking of things like Cosmos and et cetera. Um, but I happened upon uh, Charles Schumann's book, American Bar. And, um, you know, it's a book that uh, some of the recipes are amazing. Some of them, you know, maybe I do them a little differently, but it it's really rooted in classic Sure, bartending, classic mixology from everything from and it's a hardback. The, so I mean, yeah, the style of the book, classically woodcuts, like yeah. it's really classy. Um, so I guess that kind of started me down that path, and then um, was lucky lucky enough to get on at Pegu Club when I moved to town. I'd met um, you know good friend Brian Miller at uh, Gary Reagan's Cocktails in the Country back in the day, and when I moved to town, uh, he brought me in to meet Audrey and. Audrey hired me, and um, 
and she was a big book collector. So uh, <laughs> right. Greg Bohm was coming around, and you know we had original 1867 Jerry Thomas's behind the bar. It was just ridiculous. Um, and about the time I was leaving, you know, naturally I wanted to have some sort of library at my fingertips to investigate classic cocktails on my own. And that started the uh, book collecting that I've spent way too much money on <laughs> yeah. over the years. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I feel like the same way uh, about uh, uh, collecting records, you know, it's yeah. like, and being a musician. It's like, you have to do your research, you know? Yeah, totally. You gotta know what sounds good yeah. before you can play something good. Yeah. And you gotta know what tastes good. And just under, understanding, like, the way that, like, uh, proportions work and how technique works in cocktails is a huge deal. And, like we were saying before, you know, about the Montgomery Smith, I think it's. I just. I, I love. Well, first of all, everyone knows I love Fernet Branca, but like I love I love cognac too, man. And that, yeah. that cocktail is just killer. Um, as far as the uh, as far as the shanty goes, what is your your focus? As far as it, 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 I mean, are are you going to be like a spirits outlet? Yeah, yeah. Or are you going to be like doing cocktails for the shanty? We want to keep it pretty low key. I mean, we have some of the you know greatest cocktail bartenders in america working with us there and you know we're insanely lucky to have the staff that we do um but at the same time we are not aiming to be another hardcore classic cocktail bar i want let me i want people to feel completely at ease coming in order beer and a shot um rocking out to some thin lizzie and (laughs) hanging out and having a good time you know um so You'll find some great classic cocktails on the menu. You'll find um, some really nice creative drinks that the staff has come up with. Um, but you can also get beer in a can and just hang out Pink and rock out. Still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things we've talked about quite a bit on this show um, is the fact that, like you just said, you have an all-star cast behind the bar and with so many bars popping up nowadays especially bars that didn't know what they're doing or you know have this this ambition and this drive to to preserve the classics and also to invent all these amazing contemporary cocktails is that with so many bars opening up you they're, they're kind of opening up faster than we have like enough bartenders to, yeah. to like staff them up, and but I think it's always been that case. I mean, I remember I mean, when I was yeah, at Pig Club and of course. Death and Company opened, and like half the staff went over over there. Uh, you know, it's like I actually feel like there are more amazing bartenders in New York now per cocktail bar than there ever has yeah, been I agree. because you people so? just keep moving here, yeah, and absolutely. you know, people are moving here from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, to ten bar and be awesome at it, and um, it's pretty cool. You know, it, you can go it's into definitely cool man. restaurants that five years ago were selling crappy cocktails with sour mix and whatever, and now they've stepped up and they've realized, hey, we're a serious restaurant. We need to have a serious bar program too. Absolutely. So, and it's again going back to the uh, the exciting times that we're living in. You know, where where you can have a distillery. 
in New York City and make Navy Strength Gin. And you can have a bar where I, I feel like the shanty is kind of a lot like uh, like Dram in a way because it's an all-star staff, but it's yeah. like chill and low-key. If you want to have a beer and a, uh, like a, a can and a shot, you can have that. But also if you want like just a really badass cocktail, you could do that too. Totally. Um, 79 Richardson. Between, between Leonard and Lorimer. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, man, it's really, really exciting times for this whole industry. Absolutely. You know? And I just want to congratulate you guys again on the opening. And uh, I Your stool I, is waiting for you. Huh? I'm, I'll probably head there after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But before I do that, I do want to say something. Uh, well, thanks again for coming on the show. And I want to thank my producer, Jack Inslee. Uh, the Speakeasy has been on the air for a year now. Amen. Nice. This will be the last show of Thanks, uh, 2011, nice, and I'm nice. happy to have you two on. I have a sound uh, effect for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want the tiger growl again. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> this is so awesome. Gotcha. I feel like, yeah, gotcha. That's the guy. That's the Coming in 2012, <laughs> dude. This is like the uh, the like morning radio happy hour thing. Yeah, <laughs> so many sound effects. Do you have a spring? Uh, no, I don't. You don't. Oh. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I was promised a spring. Oh <laughs> man, but uh, but on a serious note, again, thank thank you so thank much you. for coming on the show, and uh, be sure to check out New York Distilling Company, the bar, the shanty, and it's uh, NY. NYDistilling.com dot com. Seventy nine Richardson Street. Richardson. Not Richardson. Richardson, Richardson between Lor- Leonard and Lorimer. Gotcha moment. <laughs> All right. That's it for the speakeasy for this year. We'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Holidays are here, and it's time to head to the Heritage Meat Shop for some juicy Berkshire pork roast, tender Piedmontese steaks, traditional Christmas goose, and duck. Our world-famous charcuterie and fresh meats are guaranteed to please everyone, whether it's a party of two or 200. Be sure to stop by the Heritage Meat Shop to make your holiday celebration a delicious and memorable event. The Heritage Meat Shop is located at 120 Essex Street in the historic Essex Street Market on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Call 212-539-1111 to order now.